Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You think that that sin has something good for you. You think that that sin is, is, has something that you need and you think God's keeping it from you. And so that's why you have to have it. So that's why you harbor the sin. That's why you keep it around or that's why you don't battle it. You as a Christian need to battle against sin. You need to fight against it. You need to be desiring to get those things out of your life. Whether or not we realize it, we are in a battle every single day. Hopefully as Christians, we know that. We will battle against sin as long as we live on this earth. That's the good news. Why? Because when we stop battling against sin, then we give in. We either justify it or we put ourselves in situations where we become vulnerable to temptation. Stay in God's Word daily. Establish accountability with friends who are strong in the Lord. And most importantly, pray for God's strength and discernment every day that we would keep short accounts and remain righteous before Him. It is our prayer that today's teaching encourages you to walk righteous before Jesus. With part two of our message out of James 1, verses 13 through 18, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Here again in Genesis, he makes this not so subtle statement that God's withholding something from her. And then in verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. So she defends God to some degree, but did you notice she left the best word out of all? He had said that we may eat of the tree that is in the garden, but she left the word freely out. God had said, you can freely eat of all the trees in the gardens, garden, and she made God less gracious, or she made herself entitled to what God had given her rather than realizing that God had given it. And that made her more susceptible to temptation. I believe that if we are thankful for what God gives us, I believe that if we understand God's grace, I believe that if we have that heart of thankfulness, Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways. You've done so much. Thank you for all that you've done, that you are now a step ahead of the game when it comes to facing temptation. When you feel that God has slighted you, when you feel that you are entitled to certain things, then when you're tempted, you're more likely to say, you know what, I deserve this. You know what, I can do, God didn't do that for me, so I'm gonna take this. And so she held back or made God's word less gracious. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. Now, if you read earlier, he didn't say anything about touching it. The second thing she did was make God's word more grievous. When we become legalistic, an interesting thing about legalism is that when people get legalistic, they use the word I a lot. They say, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't do that. You can do whatever you want to do, but I've learned that I don't do that. They are, they're kind of focused on what they're doing. And you, when you become legalistic, are in a very dangerous place because you're focusing on yourself and you're taking freedoms away from yourself that God's given you. And that's what she's doing. She could touch it all she wants. She could have climbed the tree. She could have swung upside down in the tree if she wanted to. She could have done all of that. What she couldn't do was eat it. Finally, she makes God's word less gracious. Then she makes God's word more severe by being legalistic. And then she changes God's word altogether. She says in verse, the end of verse three, lest we die. 
The word less there means might. You might die. If you eat this fruit, you might die. You know, taking a risk here, rolling the dice. What did God say? You will surely die. No, no question about it. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And you notice that Satan quotes God right. You will not surely die and denies God's word completely. That's what Satan wants you to believe is that whatever sin you're being tempted with, whatever area of life your stronghold is in, that God's withholding something from you and that it's really not bad. It's really not going to hurt you. It's really not destructive. Now turn with me back. Well, let's look at her. Let's look at how she she responds to it. Uh, Verse five, for God knows that in a day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now that he has something that God's withholding something from you, And then verse six, so when the woman saw that it was good for food, that it was desirable, no, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And at that point, they both died spiritually. All of a sudden, sin nature was in them. All of this before their nakedness didn't bother them. But now with their thoughts, with sin nature, suddenly their nakedness bothered them. And they sew together fig leaves, which is inappropriate. When we try to cover our sin, it's always inappropriate. Only God is the one who can deal with it. Turn back to the book of James. Verse 15. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And once sin has been given birth to, now it is even more difficult to handle. The best time to deal with sin is when we're enticed and when we have desires, when it's in the area of feelings, being able to understand, you know what? God's got the best for me. If God doesn't want me involved in this because it's gonna hurt me, this is not good for me. But then when your will gets involved, it becomes very difficult. Once you've decided I'm going to do this sin. Years ago, we had a young guy here that was on staff with us and he'd gotten involved with a girl that he knew he shouldn't be involved with. There were some problems that arose and um, I was talking about roadblocks. That when, sometimes when we determine that we're gonna sin or that we decide, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and do this sin, God will throw up roadblocks. Do you ever had that happen to you? Where all of a sudden you know God's saying, don't do this. And you go around that roadblock and God puts up another roadblock. Don't do this. Once your will is engaged, you can often go around those roadblocks. Years later, he said, I was there that night you were teaching about roadblocks and God spoke to me clearly that if I do this, I'm walking away from him. And he said, I deliberately, he said, to my shame, I deliberately chose to do it. I chose her over God when I knew that God had put up a roadblock. Once you get your will involved, it is very difficult to get things to stop. It's not impossible but sin has been conceived at that point. And it really takes God shaking you to be able to get you to get out of it. Or it takes you being shaken. Like maybe you've determined to do something now and you come to church and there's a whole teaching on temptation. <laughs> and it's like a giant roadblock that God has thrown up. And God is saying to you, stop, because this is destructive. What does it go on to say here? It goes on to say in verse 15, but when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Sin always brings death. It might not be, it could be your death, right? You might sin from that end up dying. 
But it also could be the death of maybe the relationship you have with your children. You have an affair. Your children never talk to you again because of what you did to their mom. Maybe the death of your relationship with your wife. Maybe it's another area. Maybe your job suffers and there's a death of a job. Sin always brings death. And God says, I want to spare you that. I want to spare you that before you get involved in that. You have these desires and these enticements. And then when it's conceived and is born, it brings forth death. That's the ultimate result. And God would have you stop before that. Sin is sin because it's destructive. But not only is sin destructive and bring forth death, but sin is deceptive. Sin, verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Sin is so easily, it is so easily deceives us. You so easily justify why it's okay for you to be involved in it and not okay for someone else to be involved in it. I I think of David after sinning with Bathsheba. He had 300 wives and concubines and he looks out over his porch and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath and he invites her over, right? And then he covers it up and then Nathan knocks on the door. And Nathan says, David, there's a guy down the road and he has a whole bunch of goats He had some friends come over and he went next door and he took his neighbor's pet goat. This guy only had one goat. He took his pet goat and he killed it and he fed it to some friends that he had over. What what, what should we do with this guy? And David became enraged and said, that man will surely die. Nathan said, you are that man. His sin on someone else looked awful. He had justified it to himself. I had a gal tell me one time that her affair was okay because it was true love. I wanted to throw up when she told me that. <laughs> she did. She said, you know, I think it's okay that, that we've had an affair because it's true love and we're supposed to be together. You know how long after that it was until they had broke up, until they were done? Two weeks. True love lasted two weeks. That's it, two weeks. Two weeks, true love was done. You know why? It wasn't true love. It was lust and it was destructive and it tore two marriages apart in our church because people got together and were deceived that what they had with their husband or what they had with their wife wasn't true love and there must be something else that is out there and they felt that excitement and they were enticed by the desires and then it was conceived and it brought forth death and it brought forth destruction in both of those families and in both of the lives of the people that did it and in both of the spouses of where the affair took place. We are so, we're so easy at deceiving. I know it's wrong for other people to drink, but it's okay for me. I know it's wrong for other people to watch those kind of movies, but it's all right for me. If, you've ever, if you're an, uh, an alcoholic or have been an alcoholic or have had someone that you know as close as an alcoholic, then you know all the excuses that can be made, right? I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink after five in the afternoon. I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink every other day. I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink beer. I'm not an alcoholic because I've never had vodka, right? I mean, and, and we laugh, but it's so true, isn't it? They're making all these excuses and they are deceived and they're deceiving themselves. That's what sin does. If you're involved in a sin, if you've got some sin harbored in your life, chances are you have been deceived by it. You think that that sin has something good for you. You think that that sin is, is, has something that you need and you think God's keeping it from you. And so that's why you have to have it. So that's why you harbor the sin. That's why you keep it around or that's why you don't battle it. You, you, you as a Christian need to battle against sin. You need to fight against it. 
You need to be desiring to get those things out of your life so that there can be purity and holiness that can be given to God. But if you're just settled into those, whatever that sin is, it's because you think that that sin has something for you. And that's deception. That sin has nothing for you. Nothing but destruction, nothing but pain, nothing but hardships. But here's the, here's the question. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe that what he says, that it brings forth death? Well, even better than that, I told you that I, my favorite verse in the Bible right now was in this passage. And I wish we could remember this whenever we're tempted. Verse 17, every good and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting or turning. Sin is deceptive. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all shadows, but there's no variation. There's no shifting of shadows in God at all. God's open and honest from the very beginning. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. Do you believe that? If only we could remember that verse. We ought to write it out and put it under our TV. We ought to put it on our dash in our car. We ought to put it on the inside of our glasses when we go to a movie. That we could remember when we're tempted and when those feelings start to arise in us and we are enticed by those desires that we would say every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. God wants to bless you. He wants your marriage to be enriched, but perhaps you aren't keeping pure thoughts or, or maybe you've developed an emotional relationship with someone else and you think that that's what you need. That is going to bring death but if you got rid of it and you came back to, to your marriage, God would give you every good and perfect gift. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone that you know doesn't love the Lord, doesn't want to follow Christ. You haven't given God a chance to give you every good and perfect gift because you've kind of, by, by a lack of faith, have cut it off. And, and you've said, well, I think that this is good. It's not from God, but I think it's good. No, it's not. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Sin brings forth death. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Don't be deceived. The enemy would love you to think that the sin is what you need, that it's a good, that it's perfect for you, but it's not. And if only we could remember these things. If only we could remember them when we are tempted. If only we could remember them when that excitement comes up for that which would be forbidden. I think sometimes temptation comes simply because people are bored. I think there's just boredom in people's lives. They're just bored. And when that which is off limits comes up, there's a sense of excitement that they feel. That's the enticement. That's the feeling that comes along. And if we could remember that what God wants for us is better than any of that, there ought to be some excitement about that. Do you, as I'm talking about, every good and perfect gift that comes from the, down from the Father of lights, is there some excitement about receiving whatever God has for you? There should be. Because I don't know if there's ever been a person besides Jesus that's received all of that. That we would say, Lord, from now on, I want every good and perfect gift that comes from you. And if somehow in my marriage and somehow in my relationship with my kids or somehow in my own selfishness, I'm keeping myself from receiving every good and perfect gift, Lord, I want it. I want whatever God wants. You want whatever God wants for you? I've said it before and I really mean it. I, I'd like to say that I I'd like to start this off this way. I have learned, but I've also learned that whenever I say I have learned that I haven't always learned it, okay? But I'm learning that if God doesn't want something for me, I don't want it, even if I want it. Does it make sense? 
<laughs> you guys go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. If God doesn't want it for me, I don't want it, even though I want it. I might have a desire for it. That might be what I want. But if God doesn't want it for me, then I don't want it. I'm, I'm learning that because what God wants for me is the best. And, and God wants to give it freely. God wants to give liberally. Isn't that what James said earlier? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give to all who gives to all men liberally. It's not just that he gives wisdom liberally. He gives to all men liberally. Remember what Nathan went on to tell David? I gave you the kingdom. I gave you wives. I gave you the riches of the kingdom. Think of all the things God had given David. And then God said this to David. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. David chose to have that affair with Bathsheba, which led to death, right? The death of a child, the death of her husband. It led to death. But God says, I would have given you more. So here we are. We've got some enticement with some sin. And God says, I'd give you more. If what I've given you isn't enough, I'd give you more. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. The story is told of St. Augustine. He's one of the church, early church fathers. And uh, when Augustine was born again, before he was born again, he frequented prostitutes. And once he was born again, his life radically changed, as does when you commit your life to Christ. And the story is told that he was walking down the street and a prostitute that he used to frequent saw him. And she started to cry out, Augustine, Augustine. And he continued to walk down the street. And she chased him. And when she got close to him, she said, Augustine, it's me. It's I, is what she said. She said, Augustine, it's I. And he turned around and said, yes, but it's not I. <laughs> he had been changed. He had been made a new person. That's what the next verse says. Look at verse 18. It says that in him is no variation in shifting of shadows. God's open and honest about everything. But then it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will, he has transformed you by the word of truth and you have been born again that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. That God has done a work inside of us. What does the Bible say? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, everything has become new. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again in order to make it into heaven. Nicodemus is confused. How can I go back into my mother's womb? No, you got to be born spiritually. You've got to be born from above in order to enter into heaven. In Romans chapter 6, it says that we have been given the Holy Spirit and that we no longer have to be slaves to sin by the work that Jesus did on the cross, that we have been crucified with him and we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to give in to it. We can believe what God's word says. We can say, Lord, I really want what you want for me. Now, the rubber will meet the road in the next couple of days. You can say tonight, oh, Lord, I really want what you want. I really want every good and perfect gift to come down. But when we're tempted, will we remember it? And I think that if we honestly can say to him tonight, Lord, help me. Help me that I can remember this. Help me that I'm not deceived by sin. Help me that I can receive whatever gift you have for me. I believe we really will have victory over sin and we will take every stronghold captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ when we understand that he has the very best for us. We can't go back and change things, but we can change them from right now, can't we? We can be that different person now by the very power of God. 
Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you as we look at this passage, which speaks to us about temptation. And Lord, I don't know that we ever, that we really have ever put too much thought into that temptation happens inside of us when we are enticed, when there are those desires. Lord, we, uh, we want to be victorious over sin. We don't want the death that sin brings. And so we turn from it now. We ask that you would forgive us. Even after sin is conceived, even after it's been born, before it's full grown, we believe that you can come in and forgive that sin. And I pray for anyone here that has conceived sin in their lives. Sin is growing up. The end result will be death. I pray that they would turn from it now. You've said that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that they would heed this roadblock, surrendering everything to you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here shortly. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, remember that God sent that baby that was born in that manger or laid in that manger, born in that barn, laid in that manger so your sins could be forgiven. The Bible says that he would take away the sins of the world. And that happens when you invite him in, when you say, Lord, I want you in my life. And Jesus said, if anyone seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll save it. You need to say to him, I give you my life. I lay it down. And in doing so, you find out who you really are and you find out what your life is really about and he will transform you. He will cause you to be born again, which is a radical change. I'd went to church my whole life, but when I was 14 years old, I had someone explain to me that I needed to have Jesus in my life. I invited him in and my life was radically changed and yours can be too if you're 14 or 48 or 88, if you would invite him in today. So if you're here today and you want to invite him in, you want to say, I'm done living for myself and I'm ready to live for you, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are right now, just raise your hand. I want to take time to go around the room and acknowledge your hand. So keep them up, would you? Ma'am, over to my left. God bless you. That's great. And right here on the front, ma'am. That's awesome. God bless you. Back here, ma'am. Just still off to my left in the back. That's great. Right here up in the front, ma'am. That's awesome. Sir, right by the aisle there in the front. That's great. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. God bless you, sir. That's great. Anyone else? Just raise your hand now. God bless you, ma'am. That's awesome. All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the work of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.